So you've never you've never seen a Porky's? Uh, no, but Patrick uh, seems to worship that movie a lot, and uh, I told him it's very problematic. I've never seen a Porky's. Don't ever show it, for God's sake! Don't ever show well, it. Wait, yeah, show the, show the Superior, the Great Bikini Off Road Adventure. Oh, what about Bikini Car Wash too? That's even worse. <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> What's wrong with people? People be horny, Edwin. Uh, you have, it's something you have to understand. Yeah, people be watching bad movies. Hello, Secret Movie Clubbers. Welcome to Secret Movie Club Podcast 128. Today, we're actually talking about an aspect of cinema and movie making that's really, really important, and that is movie posters. And the reason we're doing that is recently we were very lucky to partner with, and our partners continue to want to remain anonymous, so I can only say our partners, but our partners commissioned a movie poster designer, Laurent Doriot, to do three original designs for us, and we showed those movies. So uh, Mr. Dorio did Boogie Nights, Eyes Wide Shut, and The Shawshank Redemption, and they're amazing. We actually got the hundredth of a limited edition of 100 to put up in the club. So we have 100 out of 100. That's what we got. I'm very grateful that our partners did that for us. But it got us thinking, we need to talk about movie posters, because often a movie poster is the first thing a person sees to get them intrigued about a movie or get them into the vibe of a movie uh, but anyway enough who's with us today hey it's me connor lloyd cruz that's it the people's champion sorry i got distracted by daniel sent me a text i guess he forgot that this was the recording so daniel lot uh, will be flying in shortly hello america Got up at 10 o'clock for this crap, and I'm not happy. I want to go back to bed. Edwin Cesar Gomez, sacrificing for America. I sacrifice for you, Craig. Uh, and I'm Craig, the founder, programmer of Secret Movie Club. It is wonderful to have you guys. We are now in December, the final month of 2022. That was quick. I know. Even by the standards of aging and time, 2022 seems more like a month than a year. Tonight... Come to the club because we are going to be doing two of John Ford's later period movies, which actually rebut the idea that he got more conservative as he got older. I actually would put forward, not because I love John Ford, I actually mean sort of empirically, that Ford remained a pretty progressive, if individual and independent dude. He made a movie, Sergeant Rutledge, starring Woody Strode, which we're showing on 35, which was one of the first movies to feature a African-American lead that he did in 1960. And it's an amazing movie about a uh, African-American cavalry officer unjustly accused of a crime. And then uh, we're showing Seven Women, John Ford's very final film, which, again, was way forward, even by today's standards. All the main characters were women and Bancroft played the lead. I don't know that this is the way to put it, but it was a feminist film before feminism was a full-fledged mainstream movement. And John Ford was always, I think, trying to show that he thought that everybody was equal and he was always making movies about everybody. And then Saturday is our Star Wars, the original trilogy event in Palm Springs at the Camelot Theater. So when you hear this, you're going to have just one day to decide if you want to drive to Palm Springs. All I can tell you again is this is the inaugural event of our Secret Movie Club special series. And if we do a Secret Movie Club special series, it means there's something very special about the event and secret. And you're just going to have to take a chance. When you then go to get tickets and you're like, why the hell are these tickets more expensive than normal? Please know that it took a lot to make this event happen. On top of which, you're helping Secret Movie Club for the next year to do events like this and exciting things. And we do feel very strongly, if you take a chance,
chance, you will not regret it. You will have something to talk about for the rest of your life. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity here, folks. You're watching the best damn theater in Palm Springs, man. So you don't take a chance, you're already dead. So come on. So Edwin knows the secret, and he also knows why it's special. And remember, if you've listened to our podcast, Edwin usually defaults to bagging on me and criticizing everything I do. So if Edwin actually is excited about this, chances are it actually, there's something intrinsically exciting about it. It's because I'll, I'll spoil the secret for everybody. We're actually showing Death Wish 1, 2, and 3. I'm fine with that. If you make a weekend of it, you will not regret it. Uh, We're showing all three New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi Saturday night. We start at 530 with New Hope. Empire, I think, is around 8, 8, 815-ish. And then Jedi, I believe, is around 10-ish. The bar is open at the Camelot. You're going to have a half hour in between each movie. Uh, Wednesday, December 7th, we are doing our Secret Movie Club workshop with actors and directors. Uh, That, I think, is almost filled up. We have about five writers and 20 actors, and we workshop your scenes but check it out and if you don't make december sign up for january thursday december 8th we're doing our holiday special fundraiser for vidiots which also is themed with uh something we already mentioned here death wish yeah death wish yeah well there you go uh if you follow the trail there but we're going to be doing a fundraiser for vidiots thursday night and we're going to show a very famous or infamous holiday special from the late 70s that certain people have been trying to erase from history Once you see it, though, like Clockwork Orange, you can't unsee it. It is mind-blowing, and uh, we're going to raise money for Vidiots because they're in the home stretch of opening up their theater in Eagle Rock. And hey, we got our, uh, who else is with us today? Hey, everyone. It's Daniel Ott. Happy to be here. Happy holidays. When does this come out? Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. (laughs) Week after Thanksgiving. Hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. As always, you can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. Sign up for our newsletter. Just go to the website, secretmovieclub.com. See everything we're doing. And this month, by Thursday, December 8th, we are going to begin announcing our January through March winter season 2023, as well as our director of the year, who Edwin actually, he also knows who that is. Edwin, how do you feel about our director of the year 2023 without giving away who it is? This guy made a lot of pictures, but I'm hoping uh, for that certain director, you show one of his movies at the Camelot since it's a certain print of one of his films that shows mostly on 70 millimeter. We should, and we could, because we're back at the Camelot in, in May. It's a good idea, man. Is Mad Mad World in there? I swear to God, if you don't do that, I'm so mad. You're walking? That's it. You're gonna you're gonna be so mad. You're gonna extra extra mad to that title. <laughs> Look, okay. man, you I, didn't show it when we first did it, and now you're not gonna do it again because you have no taste. Okay. God. We can discuss this in the five months. <laughs> so today we are talking about movie posters, an integral part of the movie going experience. It's interesting. I think when you talk about movies and you have movie conversations, a lot of times if you go off on a certain topic, a a lot of people could sort of smell the BS or smell it's tangential or be like, wow, these nerds are, are really going down a rabbit hole. I have no desire to go down. But I would wager that most people would nod when you talk about movie posters and they might say, oh yeah, I had a few up in my room. There are a few that I loved, uh, you know, when I was in college or like movie posters actually play a pretty key part in pop culture and in a lot of people's lives, even if they're not diehard, dyed-in-the-wool movie obsessives. So today, we're just going to go round robin, talk about movie posters. And what sparked all this, like I said, was we were lucky enough to have uh, Laurent Durio, who is one of the top five designers of alternative movie posters in the world, do three movie posters for Secret Movie Club. He did Boogie Nights, 
Eyes Wide Shut, Shawshank Redemption, and then we showed those movies on 35 and released the posters to the audience who were, I, I have to say, people had warned me that people who collect movie posters at that level, because people had paid 175 bucks, they were screen printed, they were limited edition. I was warned like, oh, these people are going to be intense. And actually, I have to tell you, it was a joy. The weekend was a joy. Everyone was a joy to talk to. They were thrilled with the posters. And really, all praise has to go to our partners who... I think managed expectations and ran a great event. And again, I have to say our partners were the ones that got a Mr. Durio. I wish I could tell you he came to us, but this is again, why we have partnerships and alliances with secret movie club, because often you, you get a lot more done when you make an alliance or a partnership. I think I'm going to try to make a blog post for this pod that will just contain all of the posters we talk about more or less. So I'm going to be trying to keep track of the posters we talk about. I will insert the URL here. Secretmovieclub.com slash blog slash poster dash podcast dash supplement or tinyurl.com slash SMC pod posters. You know, movie posters, and I'm this. I'm talking as someone who just loves movies, who's never really been in a marketing meeting at a studio but they've been around since the very, very beginning and probably are the children of posters that were done for theater or opera because posters pre-existed movies and would get people excited. The first poster to date is for the 1895 La Rosa by the Lumiere brothers. And I guess specifically posters existed for magic lantern shows in quotes before this. And that was the first one that was done specifically for a movie. It's interesting that first poster, most of the poster is the audience watching the movie. And then the, the movie itself is like a small part of the actual like poster uh, advertising the movie experience and as posters have gone on artists were brought in you know there are probably a lot of posters you you can sort of tell what's hot at the time design wise it's it's funny to look at posters of different eras and you can tell that there was a design aesthetic that was really popular and then there are certain posters that are all timers that people remember always and then there are very famous illustrators not most famously but one of the famous ones being drew struzan who uh, really got involved with the Indiana Jones movies and the Star Wars movies and brought an aesthetic to design in the 80s and 90s, which was kind of a, a collage, a montage, close-ups, drawn style, adventure style. Who wants to kick it off with a poster they love or their thoughts on movie posters? I'm already on it, Craig. I have an original one-sheet poster of Michael Cimino's Year of the Dragon that I got at Larry Edmonds in Hollywood, California. I paid 35 bucks for it. But as you may know... I'm in the poster business. That's right. I deal with posters every single day uh, at a place called Hollywood Book and Poster in Burbank, California. Right next to Blast from the Past. He's the Heisenberg of movie posters. Yeah, that's right. We're the best. We got everything. I love movie posters. I collect movie posters now. But at a certain time, I never did. I can name some of my favorites posters, you know, like... Commando, 48 Hours, uh, Red Heat, Die Hard is one of my favorites. For a certain time, I've always drawn to having the posters because they look so cool and it, and it drags me to watch a picture. And for a certain reason, posters now for the eras of the 70s are like really high in value now. Like Godfather, uh, Into the Dragon, um, Airport, you know, all, all those big titles, you know. They go for a lot of cheese, a lot of money. And also in the, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. We have one at the store for like $400, and it's rolled. 
not fold it. So that's kind of uh, adds the value to it. Explain why that is. Because if you fold it, you get what? You get wrinkles and have like a white line between the posters and uh, it will uh, decrease the coloring of it. And it will rip apart, which I've already experienced already. I uh, have an original Rambo first Blood Part II poster and I accidentally ripped it. So that kind of hurts me a little bit. Edwin, because you're of the four of us, and I don't want to, because I know Daniel is an avid collector, and I've been to Connor's apartment and seen his posters too. So I don't want to presuppose here. But I would say that you're one of the most avid collectors of physical media I've ever met. Why do you like to have the posters in your room? What is it about movie posters that you like? First off, I like to loan them out. I like to display them at the theaters. For me personally, I want to get them framed so I can just have them in my room. Like for instance, this original one she of falling down I got from the Vista. And that I just got at a, where did I get a CD trader that was already framed already. That's a say anything poster. It's an audio medium. Yeah, but this is my favorite. Falling down is one of my favorite. As you can see, you got Michael Douglas standing on a, a rock thing. You got LA in the background. You, you see him holding a suitcase and a shotgun. He's like an a badass. I mean, look at that. That's beauty. That's beauty right there. That tells you a lot about the picture. Like, is it ordinary man? It's good to take on. A good poster is one that when you talk to other people, they'll be like, oh, I remember that poster. There's an art, obviously, to the movie poster, whereas a lot of posters are fairly forgettable, unless you just have like a photographic memory and you just remember everything. But there are certain posters. One that comes to mind is, you know, if you talk about E.T., most people are going to remember that there were the fingers touching with the moon. I mean, Spielberg's actually pretty good at that imagery. Or if you talk about Star Wars, they're going to remember the original Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia hugging his leg. And then the big, like, Vader mask in the background. Some of mine favorite, I, I love those Raiders of the Lost Ark posters. Those first two, those were not done by Drew Struzan. There's, like, two that were made, one the year it came out, one, like, a re-release, and they were both done by... A man named... You're talking like the sloth and Zootopia, homie, which my kids just watched this morning. <laughs> Richard Amsel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His name's on it. I love both of those. I, I had just like a cheap uh, reproduction that I got off of the internet when I was in college. Oh, oh, oh. Well, Connor, uh, if, if you want an original poster of uh, Raiders Lost Ark, I can help you with that because we have plenty at the store. How many packs of cigarettes will it cost me? Uh, 300. My favorite movie has one of my favorite posters, which is The Evil Dead has that great poster, which I, I do have a version on my wall with the woman reaching out. It's not really any of the women in the movie. It's not really a moment that happens in the movie with this arm reaching out to grab her throat and a, uh, speaking of our next podcast, a very famous pool quote from Stephen King and big, bold letters. I love that poster. And uh, Evil Dead 2 is a great poster. It totally. Yeah, Dead by Dawn with the skull and the eyes. And the like illustrated one too. You bring up a funny little side note, which is that sometimes posters are designed after the fact with cast or crew or models who actually had nothing to do with the production. And I always think about the Pulp Fiction poster where they didn't even bother to put the jerry curl on Samuel L. Jackson. And I don't know if anybody remembers <laughs> that, but it's like all of them posing. And I guess Harvey Weinstein was like, I just need Uma Thurman and Sam Jackson and Bruce Willis and John Travolta. And you could tell they threw it together. And I don't know why they didn't put the jerry curl on Sam Jackson, because that's what his character looks like in the movie. But the poster that ran in 94, 95 often didn't have him in character. 
It's really odd. Overall posters have trended. I'm not usually the kind of person who talks bad about like trends and stuff. I do think posters are one of the places where poster trends, broadly speaking, have been pretty bad over the years. And lots of like floating heads is kind of a famous thing. We get a lot of like symmetry now, which can sometimes look nice in certain cases. I think the trade-off is that we get a lot more posters now. And I feel like usually for most movies, you can find at least like one or two cool posters that were either made for the movie directly or as some sort of, you know, licensing thing not long after i feel like there was a there was like an, a moment when reception to studio made posters really took a downturn when they stopped using great artists and just made it like these very poorly photoshopped just everyone famous's head and not in an order that makes sense with the names above it which always like infuriated me as a kid i don't know if anyone else had that when it's just four people's heads and their names above them, but it's not the name above the person that's headed above because it's mandated by like contracts. Yeah, that always bothered me. My brain wants the names it, it's to nuts. be above the person. Just put it, just put the put, yeah. Oh my gosh. Starting in like, it probably started earlier with the late 2000s when sort of these galleries really started. And I think the online push where these galleries started to do these alternative posters and create demand by making them limited drops where there's 150 of these. They're going to drop at a random time on this day. If you get it, you get it. If you don't, I'm so sorry. And it created like this artificial desire for them. I don't know what people's thoughts are on that. And on one end, I, I completely get that type of thing to make them like a thing people want in special formats. But then if you can't get them, you're then stuck to a resale world that's probably not in a price range that you want to be involved in. But I think that's also really fascinating. Maybe we'll get into that. Well, wait, we can just touch on it now that we saw that happen in real time. Movie posters are so weird because there's the one end where... As a kid, similar to Edwin's room now, floor to ceiling, I wanted no wall space available. I wanted it to be filled with posters and toys. Everything I loved, I wanted my bedroom to feel like a, an amalgamation of like all of my interests. And not much has changed. I guess now I frame them, if that makes it sound nicer. There's this view now of sort of, I always joke that it was the Hot Topic or the Walmart poster rack where they'd have like 100 posters in that little display that you would thumb through that was really loud. And it'd be like that little grate with all of the posters stacked like ammunition or something. And then they, they were rolled and you'd pull them out. It, like, looked, it was kind of cool. I always thought it'd be cool to have one of those in your bedroom. I don't know what I was thinking. And those were usually like different art prints and, and sort of a lot of the standard theater posters. But then these art print things are fast because it's different people's interpretation. It doesn't have to sell you on the movie because if you're buying it, you're probably someone who loves the movie. And the way that they capture things, you can find very specific things that are catered to your favorite parts. Or It's sort of a really interesting way to express your love of these things in the way you want to versus just a single poster, which I think is a pretty cool thing. Daniel's eyes are drifting off camera, and I assume it's because he's lovingly looking at his Mondo posters. I'm looking. Yeah, it, feel, it feels... I love being surrounded by books and movies and, and art. It's <laughs> so like a... <laughs> so like I'm on a TED talk. Like for me, I, w I really wanted a space in my house that was both for work, but also for where I try to be creative. And so like looking up and seeing all these things that I adore surrounding me by artists much more talented than I is a really nice feeling. I am fascinated with the conflicting needs of what a movie poster needs to do as we're discussing, because on one hand, it really at its most pragmatic, it's got to get people to the theater. It's got to get people excited about the movie. Which is why a floating head makes sense. Yeah, you got to be like Tom Cruise is in this thing or your boy Timothy Chalamet is eating people because there's a cannibal Timothy Chalamet movie right now or <laughs> whatever. You got to be like, oh, my boy Chalamet, I'm there. Now, I don't know who would talk like that about Timothy Chalamet, but now on 
the flip side, though, Daniel, what you were talking about, the Mondo posters or what I saw from Mr. Doriel is this whole new market of alternative posters rewards people who have seen the movie with a detail or a moment that might not mean anything to a mainstream audience uh, who hasn't seen the movie at all. It now seems there's movie posters that are done as an alternative limited run aren't really there to get you to see the movie. They're there to reward you if you have seen the movie and you like the artist. Like I was thinking when we were prepping for Mr. Durio, he did a graduate poster, which was the legs of Mrs. Robinson at the pool. And then Ben, you know, in his scuba diving gear <laughs> and his thing. And it's a great poster. It totally communicates suburbia. It totally communicates the conflict. But you would have no idea that Anne Bancroft and Dustin Hoffman are in that movie. And you have no idea what that is in reference to if you hadn't seen the film. Whereas when you think about the original graduate poster, which is actually pretty dope and Dustin Hoffman was a nobody, so it's not like they were selling the movie on Dustin Hoffman. That was his debut movie, but it's Mrs. Robinson's leg and Bancroft's leg. Actually, not Anne Bancroft's leg, I think, uh, when it comes down to as a model, but it's Mrs. Robinson's leg and then Hoffman at the door really nervous, and it says The Graduate. And I think what's interesting about that is you can get that, oh, okay, they're selling you on sex. Because they're clearly in the bedroom. It's like sex and the late 60s. And you could imagine a lot of people being like, I'm, I'm going to go see this movie, this controversial movie everyone's talking about. Because I think there's going to be some sex in it. It brought to mind all of the like um, movie poster controversies over the years, what you just said. When um, Kevin Smith's movie, Zack and Mary Make a Porno came out, he had a poster that got banned because it was like a poster of the characters and then right at the bottom of the frame was like the top of somebody else's head implying like oral sex was happening off camera and they wouldn't allow that. And at the exact same time that that was coming out, there was a Saw 5, I think, poster <laughs> that consisted of the guy from Saw's face being stretched over somebody else's head and that was fine that's a weird like the way we're very puritanical about certain things and very laissez-faire about others i would even say i would go even more disturbing than what you said which is that somehow we are more comfortable identifying ourselves as an intrinsically violent culture than as an intrinsically sexual culture which is upsetting to an extent. I was thinking about the first posters that I bought when I was in high school, actually. And I knew as a junior and a senior in high school, and I knew from 13, basically, that I wanted to devote my life to movies. And when I was 16 and 17, I knew I was going to apply to film school. I knew I wanted to be a filmmaker. And there was a movie poster shop in Laguna Beach, California, where I went to high school in Orange County. And then there was a video store, and I've told this story a bunch, but there was a video store run by five Iranian brothers. And it was funny because it went from the oldest brother to the youngest brother. The youngest brother and I were like, he was very nice to me. And they, they always would know what I was talking about because I'd be like, and I've told this story. I was like, I, I got this image in my head of there's this guy with glasses and he's like in a classroom and I saw it on and they were like oh that is Annie Hall you want to watch Annie Hall and then they would go and get, <laughs> go get Annie Hall for me or whatever uh, you know oh, you are talking about eight and a half that is eight and a half it's over here and uh, they would go and they'd get it for me but what I started to do is they would let me get posters because they had too many or I would go buy them and the first ones I bought were the movies that blew my mind um, it wasn't that I thought the image was necessarily amazing, although I wouldn't buy anything prosaic. I wanted to have it on my wall. And I remember one of the first posters I had was, you mentioned Kevin Smith, was 
Clerks because I had seen Clerks and I was blown away that someone had made this movie for no money that was so funny. The dialogue was really good. It did move me because in the end it was sort of about a relationship and integrity and getting over yourself. And I had Clerks up in my room. I think I probably had a version of that as well. Yeah, I, I don't think you can overstate how influential Kevin Smith's Clerks was to a whole bunch of people as an inspiration. Uh, whatever, whatever you do or don't think about Kevin Smith, I can tell you it was wildly inspiring to me. I had Last Picture Show because I saw a Last Picture Show and I'd never seen a movie like that. A black and white film that was so sexually frank. That just blew me away. And then I have to own it. I had Manhattan. <laughs> I had Woody Allen's Manhattan because I love the image and I love that film. And that was up there. All black and white. All black and white. That's true. I didn't put that together. And those were three of the first posters that I had were these three movies that kind of like blew my mind in terms of what cinema can do. So I was putting movie posters up almost to remind me of the inspiration of why I loved movies. Um, they were like constant inspirations. <laughs> Daniel, do you have any favorite? Because I just ordered a new Mondo poster that will come out next year, that Doctor Strange 2 poster that I think is pretty cool. What would you call that style? It's it's such a unique style. It's very illustrated. It, yeah, it looks almost like a combo of like animation and uh, almost stained glass. That's pretty trippy. I was going to assume that they would do like a stylistic Evil Dead uh, style poster with Doctor Strange and it's a Sam Raimi motion picture. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's got some cool skulls and stuff. Yeah, I, I cycle posters a lot. I was trying to like look at some of the stuff that I've got over the years, um, specifically not from Secret Movie Club. Had, had a chance to buy Shaun of the Dead. Had a chance, but you f I do love that poster, but it doesn't fit my aesthetic. Well, guess what? You know what else we have? We have Baby Driver. See, I have a Baby Driver poster uh, from Mondo that I really love. We have an original theatrical release poster. Is it the Greg Ruth one? Or the, no, the Roy Kurtz one? Like the pink one that's got yes. the hand-drawn one? That is a yes. good one. That was a surprising... See, they made an original one that was whatever, and then they made a they hired an artist to do a hand-drawn one that was dope. Even though it's a lot of floating heads, it's still got a lot of style. My favorite is Tough. Okay, no, it's not tough. I actually have this poster. It hangs above me. It's by an artist named Roy Kurtz. Same one that did the Baby Driver one, actually. But it's it's the throne room scene from The Last Jedi. It is unbelievable. And then my pride and joy is I have a signed Greg Struzan Pan's Labyrinth. Struzan did some Pan's Labyrinth art that was never used for the marketing of Pan's Labyrinth. But Guillermo del Toro loved it so much that he, he had it commissioned anyway. And a few years ago, they did a, a print run of his Pan's Labyrinth. It's the one that has um, the girl and the fawn hugging together in the center. It's become kind of famous for Pan's Labyrinth, which is interesting because it was never used in marketing. But I, I was able to get that signed. I'm not a big autograph person, but I couldn't resist. And that hangs squarely above me because I think it's pretty phenomenal. I was also going to bring up certain foreign posters, specifically posters from Ghana. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great call. People should just look up posters that are made originally there. There's a Mrs. Doubtfire one, I think, is a pretty good example where it's unspeakably violent for some reason, because they're really just trying to get butts and seats, I guess. There's a Jerry Maguire, too, where like Cuba Gooding Jr. is missing an arm and Tom Cruise has a machete. They're very abstract. <laughs> There's a lot of artist interpretation As going on with, I guess it would be Ghanese posters. I was going to mention, I've actually made a couple for Secret Movie Club. One with uh, Celeste, guests of the show. That was a cool experience. I want to make more. I've got like little ideas for stuff that I think would, would be funny, but now I'm just rambling. I do have a very rare 
original poster for this Eastern European film uh, called Mazak. No, God, with, come uh, on. Uh, Eastern European film star Kaz. Um, that's a big sort of centerpiece in my apartment. I'll put that one up so people can see exactly what I'm talking about. What a great thing to bring up is that the movie poster business around the world, if you travel, I lived in Malaysia when I was 15, and they did a similar thing that I believe they do in in Mumbai, which is they hire painters. It's actually an ingenious way to employ people. They hire painters to repaint or paint a poster. Now the Ghana posters are famous around the world because we all look at them and they don't have anything to do with the movie and they're almost always selling it as an action movie, no matter what the genre is. And that's like a joy in and of itself to be like, wow, that exists. But in India and Malaysia, it would be weird because you would look at these beautiful posters. I remember when I was there, I think it was the last action hero because I lived in Malaysia when I was 15. But the painter was amazingly talented, but couldn't quite nail the likeness of Arnold Schwarzenegger. So it was uncanny because you'd look and you'd be like, who is that's not Schwarzenegger. (laughs) And you'd be like, this is amazing poster. And then uh, the painters would also do some license, but they would keep it within the genre. And the Mumbai posters, if you've never seen a Bollywood poster. And again, you know, you were talking about where we've all gone, which is sort of Photoshop. And and I get it. You know, it keeps the cost down and you got to pinch pennies. Posters that look like they were made by somebody's nephew in like 30 minutes. Yeah. You know, and look, who knows what the economic mandates are at the studios? I mean, they're suffering and yada, yada. But when you look at the Bollywood posters of even the 70s with Amitabh Bachchan, they're just painted and dope. And the font and the painting and it's epic and they were huge. I mean, they, they're literally paintings. Was I was just thinking randomly about it's so funny to see in movies the way people will put posters on characters' walls as weird little like call outs or references here or there. Oftentimes it feels like kind of self-indulgent, like it's the director sort of just really blatantly saying to the audience, here, look at this movie I like. Sometimes it's teasing in the Evil Dead. There's a ripped up Hills Have Eyes posters in the basement, which is Sam being cheeky and being like, oh, this is a real horror movie. And and him and Wes Craven did some back and forth with some other stuff over the years in some of their movies. It's also weird when you see movie posters for movies that don't exist in movies. I remember when I was watching Jurassic Park 2, The Lost World, when the T-Rex bursts through the blockbuster in San Diego. There's a poster for a Robin Williams movie called Jack and the Beanstalk, which was like, I guess, a (laughs) reference to Francis Ford Coppola's movie. And then there's a movie with Tom Hanks called Tsunami Sunrise, where Tom Hanks has dreadlocks and he's surfing like in the barrel of a 30 foot wave, which must have been an inside joke between Spielberg and, and Tom Hanks. But when you see it in the theaters, which I did, you're like, what, what? And the T-Rex is like, (laughs) I just wanted to shout out one movie poster whose design I love that I think actually accomplishes both things. And I, those are the posters I love, like everything where, you know, who's in it, you know what the genre is. It serves its purpose as a marketing tool, but it's also something that is incredible. And those are actually the posters for Michael Caine's Get Carter. And if anyone has ever seen the original Get Carter posters, both of them are all timers 
Uh, one, which is probably the better one, is him pointing a gun and there's a bullseye around him, but it's very 60s. I think it's done by the same designer that did John Borman's uh, Point Blank, which is another amazing poster from that time. And then there's another one that's a bit of an illustrated montage style where he's on the phone. And then you see all the things that happen in the movie on the side, but it's very illustrated and badass. And you're like, oh, this is this movie about a badass. And both of them I, I love. And I feel like I wish... I wish I saw mo more people who cared enough about design to say you can have it all. It can get people butts in theaters, but it can also be something everyone's proud of uh, who's associated with the movie and captures the tone of the picture. I was going to say this. There's been cool stuff happening lately, too. And I think Connor can attest to this because it's really affected stuff like Marvel and Star Wars, where they'll hire artists to do poster runs for special format screenings of things. So you get like, you know, a teaser poster, you get the theatrical poster. And then for like IMAX screenings, there'll be like one original poster that's only available at the IMAX screening. And there's one every weekend where it's like a chance to bring people back to theaters, but also to go home with like kind of this cool collectible. And sometimes they hire some really cool like artists that we seek out and that we love to do it, which I think is kind of dope. Or they'll do special events where they'll drop them because like stuff from places like Mondo and a lot of the galleries are officially commissioned. So Part of the limited print run, I assume, is because they're a commissioned thing, and I'm sure it costs a, a pretty penny to do so. But I think stuff like that's cool, where it's kind of blending. Because I imagine that with the sort of poster love in the world right now, artists who are inspired by these things to do their own original work now get to work in the medium is probably pretty exciting. So I think that, that stuff is very cool to me. You know, it's also interesting to think about poster design in the age of digital marketing, which we haven't really touched on. Back in the day, posters were print and they would go in newspapers. So you'd open the newspaper and be like, where is Evil Dead playing? And you'd see that striking image, you grab your eye and you'd see all the theaters beneath it. I remember this, I used to love doing it. It was such a joy on Sundays to open up the calendar section and look at the big full page, here's what's opening this week. And now it's a website, really, or you type into Google, I wanna go see the Fablemans and it, it tells you the theaters that it's playing at. So there's less opportunity really for those images to be printed out and to be showcased in a way. I feel like you guys are more tapped into where we're at right now in terms of digital marketing. But I mean, how has digital marketing affected the poster? Again, it's like it's that thing where the main posters oftentimes end up being terrible, but there's so much imagery that gets made for movies now. I doubt you could find any sort of major release movie in the last year that doesn't have at least like a cool poster that you could find that was like an official Thing that they released they drop things now on us like over the weekend they dropped an indiana jones 5 photo and so they start the hype a year out with digital stuff they can drop that on you and now you have a conversation that goes for a little while and then in a few weeks you drop another one then you drop a teaser you can just sort of build a hype machine around something with single pieces of imagery the main indiana jones poster i'm sure is going to be somewhere between fine to total dog and it's probably going to be a symmetrical design of floating bodies, if I had to guess. But there's going to probably also be about 500 other posters made for this new Indiana Jones movies. And at least a handful are going to be probably like really cool. And I assume they're probably going to commission some that match the style of those classic ones, if I had to guess. They won't be like the main poster, but it'll be like what Daniel was saying. It'll be like an IMAX sort of thing. Because even the normal posters, sometimes you get, I remember um, there's a really cool poster for the Suicide Squad for last year that has some of the design 
aesthetics of normal, but has like a cool uh, printed hyper color like quality to it and an interesting title design. I'd wonder too with stuff like that, because there is sort of, and we've talked about it, like the movie stars become less of a thing and it is very much movies are seen because of the franchise they're involved in, like the power of like the story that people want to see. And some of it I find disappointing and other times I think it's really cool is that you have a chance to. Like, I don't think people are going to go see Ant-Man necessarily for Paul Rudd. They're going to go see Ant-Man because they love Ant-Man and that story and it's connective tissue. So there's like an opportunity for really interesting poster design because it is, it's about the characters, not the actors. And those are fun posters, that Ant-Man poster, which is like almost entirely white and it's just a tiny little Ant-Man. It's sort of like these cool opportunities to do interesting things because you're not tied to, like, I think people love the actor, obviously. People love Paul Rudd. It's Paul Rudd. But people love Ant-Man and they're there to see sort of that world. And then the last thing I just wanted to touch on briefly to, before we wrap up and talking about this like poster world is the wild world beyond the moment people get the posters, which is like the resell and like online world of it, which is something I thought I was knowledgeable of until we had this event and I was hearing it from all the people of like the absolute wildness of like this community in a way that I both respect and am in fear of. The price point for the Laurent Doriel posters was 175 and within 24 hours, someone showed me it reselling for a thousand. People do what they're gonna do. You, you do you? Yeah, there's some listings on eBay and the, the smallest one is $900. Everyone does their own thing. But I'm in the end where like, if you want this poster, like you, it sucks so much to have to really stretch financially to get it. Cause now it's sort of an unattainable thing where it, there's an exclusive nature to it, but to come get the exclusive thing and then sort of turn around to, I don't know, I guess I can't speak to, to that world. I just think it's, it's, it's wild. But I do, I, I flag, there's artists that I love that have prints and I'll flag them on like eBay to be like, hey, if one of these, you know, if this drops, I want to be known if it's remotely in a price range. But I know what you mean. We were, I was kind of overzealous with getting that Dr. Strange Mondo poster and I have two copies coming in in April. And I know I'll be able to resell the other one for like upscale, but I kind of don't want to. I think I'm going to basically offer it. If people want to buy it, I just want my money back from it. So they'll probably have to pay like a $10, $20 markup for shipping and stuff. That seems fair. But there was people, and I guess respect to the, the madness, but there were people that like came to the poster thing. People who were like, oh, someone paid me. They live overseas. Someone paid me to come here watch the movie and get this poster and I'm shipping it to them. And I was like, that is wild commitment. Because at that point, I imagine that you're putting money into the game from that point. I doubt it's to resell. I think it's you love this thing and you want it. And so on one end, I'm like, what a dedication. And then there were some people that were like showing up at the end with like poster tubes who were like, when can we go in and get the poster? And I was like, I'm scared, I'm so scared. But I'll be damned, good for them. All right, pop culture, final thoughts, Gomez. Uh, I'm making a movie make it a picture that's right i wrote a script because one i was told to i was inspired uh to do it at an event that i went to it's called the last of the greats semi-noir uh western uh modern day western that takes place in the arts district and it'll be filmed around the sequel movie club theater i need to talk to you about that by the way i'll be <laughs> shooting this uh baby on 16 millimeter film the cheap and right format actually it's the only thing i could afford depending how the the fundraising goes and uh yeah 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 so uh yeah i'm making a picture i'm gonna go blow it up to 35 and i'll show it somewhere that has film projectors and uh yeah that's pretty much it so keep an eye out for that hope you can find a place last of the greats coming 2023 probably next year i don't know depending on how fast i get it done that is next year but, yeah, yeah that's right yeah shut, shut the up, Daniel.
Okay, my thunder. We're excited. Actually, remember that day you were shooting, Craig, at the Six Feet Bridge? I was scouting, by the way. That's the reason why I was there. I was scouting. Why does it sound so ominous? And it so happens you were there because, uh, uh, let's just say, I didn't know he was going to be there. And I was like, ah. I was scouting, Craig. The first shot is at the 6th Street Bridge on the bridge. And next thing you know, I see this guy there shooting at the 6th Street Bridge. Like, great. That's just wonderful. Now I have to find somewhere else to shoot. That is wonderful. You ran into a friend. Yeah, I did. But he shot where I wanted to shoot. So that takes away the purpose. Coming after you. Congratulations on The Last of the Greats. I can't wait to see it. I'm excited for you, man. Yeah, coming after you, Craig. If your film storytelling is as good as your talking storytelling, you can only imagine how good it's going to be. It's going to be great. All right? It's going to be great. Edwin asked me to shoot this for him and then abandoned me full stop when he found someone better. So. Oh, he's already he's already behaving like a filmmaker. Uh, let, let, let me uh, go back to that. Uh, you couldn't do it because uh, you had other things to do. So I had to go to another solution. That's fair. You made you made a good call. I understand. And now Darius Kanji is shooting Edwin Gomez's movie. Which <laughs> is incredible. It's a combo of him and... It's a pretty crazy on 65 with infrared for Whoa. a day for night. Wow. Congrats, Edwin. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Coming after you, Craig. Coming after you. I can keep the Edwin spirit alive. I went to hang out with Edwin on his birthday and we watched some Godzilla pictures on 35, which I think I've seen as a child because there were things that were registering in my brain, but it was lovely to have a, a very active audience eating it up, especially Godzilla 2000, which I assume is just an answer to America's Godzilla. Yeah, it is. It seems to just be mad that it exists in like a really great way. It rules. I had never, these like English dubs of them are so funny and really just add a layer. It's a different movie watching it with the dubs. It's in that weird phase of they're using CGI that looks really goofy, but somehow works. And then the suit stuff, which I actually think the Godzilla 2000 Godzilla is pretty dope looking. It's a little, little scary and just destroys everything. The amount of cutaways that are just stuff getting absolutely wrecked that doesn't make any sense in the world of physics i love great thing thank you happy birthday when you did it yeah that's right i sold out too by the way so come on craig give me a shot it's projected by the singular craig hamill and it was it was gorgeous thank you craig yeah it was it was uh i'm gonna shout out a couple of things real quick one for the poster parties i went to eyes wide shut it's a good movie just gonna say it controversial opinion two check out the song party time by the northern boys it's these two retired old men from England who made a really filthy song about depression and sex, and it's pretty good. Uh, they have another song called I Think Nobody Likes Me that's also good. And speaking of posters, I've been playing all these little games on my phone every night for the last like couple months, little like trivia things, and one of them is this thing called like Poster Duel, as in poster dle.com, where it's like an, a blurred poster. And it like will slowly become unblurred and you have to guess what the poster is. And it's just a fun little game I like to play every night along with some other stuff. You can check those things out and check me out at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz and watch me play D&D Tuesday evenings, twitch.tv slash NerdHolla. Uh, I'm finally here and there, catch as catch can, trying to catch up with movies that I've missed. And I saw uh, the James Bond movie, uh, No Time to Die. And I am a big James Bond fan, although I've come to the conclusion that there are actually only a handful of Bond films that are truly good. Most of them are actually when you're being brutal with yourself. I mean, there's some series where Mission Impossible, most of them are great. I mean, now, granted, there are only six or seven of them. Or Zatoichi. A lot of the Zatoichis are dope. With the Bonds, 
for me, there are probably five, I think, that are like good to great. But anyway, with No Time to Die, I want to write a blog on this. I've been thinking about it, which is the movie clearly, you can see it's wrestling with where does James Bond go from here? What's interesting is it ends, the very last thing at the end of the credits is James Bond will return, which is really interesting given how the movie ends, which I'm not going to ruin here if you haven't seen it. Although I think at this point, if you're watching it, yeah, two years later, (laughs) you probably know how it ends. The thing I keep saying is I really respect the heck out of it. I don't know if it works because the tone are a bit all over the place. It bites off a lot. It seems like it's paying homage to everything that's come before. It's trying to be a summation Bond movie. It's also very much trying to give Daniel Craig a send-off. It's one of the rare movies where I think everyone was like, this is his last movie, and we are going to finish the arc that we started in Casino Royale. Ultimately, I enjoyed it. I think if I was going to rank the Craig movies, I probably would put it just behind Casino Royale. For me personally, I think Casino Royale is one of the great Bond movies. I think No Time to Die works and doesn't work, but I think of the other Daniel Craig's I think it's the one that I like the most. You know, Daniel and I were talking. There's a great scene in Cuba that's very Thunderball. It's it's kind of the most fun part of the movie where it's cat and mouse and they're extricating this scientist from a specter party. Anna de Armas is great. And there's a lot of humor. And Daniel was talking to me about how Phoebe Waller-Bridge was brought in because uh, Daniel Craig had broken his leg. And bottom line here is now I'm obsessed with Well, you know, where do you go? Where does James Bond go in 2023 or 2025, whenever the next one is going to happen? What is the essence of Bond that makes you want to continue the series other than money, (laughs) which is the obvious one, which is just make more money? What is the essence that has made Bond from 61 or 62 to 2020, 22, 60 years? Why have these come out and where do they go? Well, it better not be Tom Holland. That's all I'm saying. It's not going to be Tom Holland. It what better you, not be. What, what are you talking about? There, there, there is. Are you there about is a... the director of Fright Night. Oh my God! He's not going to be playing James Bond. You know who I mean. You don't know what you're talking about. Can't, this is my tension, right? I want Idris Elba to play James Bond, but they won't do it. He's also kind of old. I gotta be honest, for Bond, I think. You still got it. In my opinion, as a Bond guy, I always hope this, and it never happens, but I'm sort of hoping they go back the other way. We should just do a Bond pod at some point. Yeah, totally. This will be a preview for the Bond pod. Even if it's just the two of us or something. Oh, I'm a Bond fan. No, I know, but who here can name all the movies in less than a minute and the year they came out in less than a minute? That's uh, it's only one hand up. It's me. Uh, you cannot name, name them all in the year in less than a minute. Zero percent chance. I doubt it. Uh, Lights of Kill, 1987. Like, well, you were uh, immediately no. wrong because that came out in 89. I was going to fix that. Bozo. Ooh. <laughs> dab on you. Got it wrong. I hope they kind of go the opposite and do like really singular. Like it'd be cool to get directors who are like known as being cool, even if they're more like journeymen, but like good action directors and just do good one-off stuff again, you know? And I think that'll be appealing. That's what I'm hoping. My favorite thing about Bond is the way it kind of adjusts and reacts to like culture and like the way that storytelling's popular in a moment. So having people, if they brought scripts up and were like, yeah, I have this idea versus like a set story thing would be kind of fun. Yeah, I was. It's funny. It, it actually sounds like there's a consensus here. The only idea I had was I've had a Bond movie in my head since I was in my 20s in watching the Daniel Craig's where it seemed like they were always trying to do Honor Majesty's Secret Service. It seemed like everyone was Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Well, Skyfall's The Dark Knight and Quantum of Solace is born movies. I thought, you know, someone's got to make a From Russia with Love, Goldfinger or Thunderball. Someone's just got to make a one-off bond has an adventure 
and it's just a joy. It's just a delight. And I think that that it's been too long since we've had one of those. I, I almost think the best way to do it, I might even cut this because I want to hold on to this, but... I think you should cut that out because that's a great take. Because yeah. someone will, <laughs> someone will swipe that dude. You should cut this out. And then you should do it. All right, guys. That was a long one. As always, it's a pleasure to talk to everybody. Tonight, come see some John Ford at the Secret Movie Club Theater. Tomorrow, get in the car. Come out to Palm Springs for Star Wars, the original trilogy, the uh, flagship of our Secret Movie Club special series. If we are doing an event under that banner, it means there's something secret that's going to happen and something special, and we hope you'll take a chance. As always, I want to thank everyone here. I want to thank our chief creative content officer, Connor Lloyd Cruz, who edited this. You can find out everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. Write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. At some point, I think December 8th is when I said uh, you're going to start seeing our 2023 schedule, January to March, as well as our director of the year. And next week, uh, we are doing a Secret Movie Club podcast 129. It'll be about the Shawshank Redemption, Frank Darabont's adaptation of Stephen King's novella, The Shawshank Redemption, which is now beloved by everybody, but was actually not a huge hit when it came out. It's one of those movies that really found its audience in its afterlife on VHS and then DVD and Blu-ray and cable and all that good stuff. And we're also talking about other Stephen King movies that are not the typical Stephen King horror. And Stephen King even talks about this. He's like John Ford. He's Akira Kurosawa. Stephen King has has written as many novels that are non-horror as horror novels. He just happens to be known as a horror novel guy, but he's written westerns, romances, slice of life, autobiography. And so we're going to be getting into that. All right, guys, have a great week. I'll see you next week. Love you, family. (laughs) 